0: Hello and welcome once again to another edition of the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Newman, Associate Editor. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsor, La Crosse Seed. Solving the soil health puzzle, lacrosse seed has you covered. Cover crops are an important piece to future profit, but it takes work and is puzzling at times. LaCrosse Seed delivers quality, soil-first cover crop products, plus training and tools to help you succeed. Whether you're looking to grow your cover crop seed business, get product tips, or find a local Soil First dealer, LaCrosse Seed is ready to help. Learn more at SoilFirst.com, that's Soil1st.com, or call 800-356-SEED. Special treat this week, we're going inside the aerial application business with Damon Reeby, who's the owner of Dairyland Aviation and Rebe Spraying Service in Wopon, Wisconsin. The third generation pilot identifies key factors that can greatly increase the odds of a uniform stand and what species are best suited for aerial application. Rebe also shares important advice regarding location, seating rate, timing, and he explains why frost seeding is a great option. So without further ado, here's Damon.
1: My name is Damon Reedy, and I'm the owner of two aerial application companies here in Wisconsin, uh, Dairyland Aviation and Reedy Spraying Service. Dairyland Aviation is based out of Waupon, Wisconsin, and we run four air tractors here in Waupon. And then Reedy Spraying Service is based at uh, Plover in Plainfield, Wisconsin. And there we run uh, four air tractors and one Bell Jet Ranger Helicopter. Our uh, business was started by my grandfather, Roy Reby, in 1946, right after World War II. He was a uh, World War II pilot, uh, started out in the civil pilot training program, giving uh, flight instruction to uh, cadets that were serving in World War II. And then he moved into uh, part of the Army Air Corps that was moving aircraft from the factories where they were produced here in the U.S. to to the coastlines and also to Alaska, where they were being uh, delivered to the theater that they were going to serve in. And then he wrapped up the war, uh, World War II, in uh, India, flying the hump in C-46s and C-47s, transporting cargo and uh, troops over the Himalayan mountains. Uh, when he returned from the war, he decided to start a flight school and he, uh, hitchhiked in uniform, uh, from the Waupon area out to Lock Haven, Pennsylvania, bought himself a brand new Piper J3 Cub and opened a flight school here in Wapan. Uh, he picked Wapan because it was the largest population in southern Wisconsin that was not already served by a flight school and uh so in 1946 he put a shingle out with this flight school and was completely puzzled as to why the flight school was doing very poorly there just weren't any students and um with the gi bill he thought that there would just be a lot of people uh, a lot of veterans that would uh, have access to that money and an interest in flying and Come to find out what he didn't account for in his, uh, research was that the population of Wapan included all of, all of the prisoners (laughs) incarcerated here in town. And so, um, that explained why things were a little slow. And so it was, uh, it was either 47 or 48. He noticed that the pea canning companies here locally were using out of state crop dusters to dust the peas for aphids. And he thought that that might be uh, another form of revenue. So he went to a couple of these local canners. He uh, convinced them that he could do that work, and they they offered it to him. And so he bought himself a second J3, outfitted it with a wooden hopper, and taught himself to dust. And that was the beginning of the family's aerial application business. He expanded into um, vegetable production on muck farms, Uh, and then continued to expand serving the vegetable processors here in Wisconsin throughout the state. And then in the late 1960s, um, he and actually my dad as his loader uh, uh, moved up into the central sand plains of Wisconsin, kind of that area from the Dells up to Stevens Point, and uh, convinced eight potato growers to each give them 40 acres to protect those potatoes from late blight. And at the time, there was thought that that wouldn't be possible to be done with an airplane. It felt like it didn't put out enough water and uh, wouldn't get enough coverage in order to, in order to protect those potatoes. So, uh, those eight growers, uh, were very impressed with the outcome from the 40 acres that they had under the, uh, under the airplane. And, uh, so much so that by 1971, all of the potato pesticide applications were done by the family business and all of the ground sprayers were parked. So he, he ran that business that had expanded from one one J three to up it was approximately twenty four aircraft, a mix of airplane and helicopters. And in nineteen seventy nine he retired and he leased all of his uh facilities and equipment to my dad and uncles, uh Tom, J.R., Jeff, and Bob Reeby. And they formed a Reeby spraying service. Uh, in 1979 and then continued the the uh, aerial application business um until and, and really did a lot of advancements uh with gps technology mapping technology uh work order processing technology that they actually uh wrote software for our industry specifically for themselves they didn't commercialize that software but it was uh certainly uh kind of state of the art in the throughout the eighties and
0: nineties and many modifications to aircraft just just really stepped up the
1: game in, in uh safety and precision. And uh in oh nine, um my dad retired. I had been flying corporate aircraft throughout uh North America, Central America, South America and Europe for about fifteen years and had been flying for my dad part time and he was ready to retire and uh me and said, listen, I'm, I'm retiring one way or the other. And, uh, you know, I understand if you don't want to do this, but if you do now's the time. And so I talked to my wife and we came to the conclusion I was giving up my summers to help on all my days off anyway. So why not make this, make the change? So I uh, resigned from a position, um, at the company I was working at as the, uh, as a flight standards pilot, as well as a blind pilot. And, uh, um, came in full time as president of Ruby Spraying Service. And, uh, we haven't looked back since. Um, in 2016, my uncles JR and Jeff, uh, had an interest in retiring. So during that, uh, during that succession, we formed Dairyland Aviation as kind of its own entity here in Wapan. And my cousin Tyler, and a long-time employee and pilot for us, Kurt Meister, uh, bought out my uncle's shares of Ruby Spraying Service. And so together with Kurt and Tyler, we run Ruby Spraying Service. And my uncle Bob um, and I and Andy Hopkins own Dairyland Aviation here in Wapod. And Andy's uh, another gentleman that I trained to spray and been a real key uh, key individual in the expansion of our business. So that's the long version of uh, beginning to end.
0: Uh, That's a tremendous origin story. Uh, I want to ask you this. In in a recent survey, 23% of row crop farmers say aerial seeding is their primary seeding method, only behind drilling. So why is aerial seeding such a popular choice and why do you think so many people are going with it right now?
1: Yeah, I think it's um, primarily the speed at which we can you know perform that planting and so imagine if you're planting a species and you're you know that you're running out of time you know when we get involved in aerial seeding cover crops the reason why we're there is we're simply running out of growing season and so timing becomes extraordinarily critical and uh, our egg aircraft are uh are built and designed specifically to cover large land masses in an extraordinarily short period of time, and so I think that's what's appealing to growers.
0: Uh, I spoke with uh, one farmer who he tried an aerial application of, I think perennial ryegrass it was, several years ago, and uh, he said it just didn't work for him. So so how does a no-tiller determine the right pilot for the job?
1: Oh, uh, You know, I think a no-tiller uh, probably, for starters, it there. I think most aerial applicators are have either experience at this point in time, and if they don't have experience, they have access to the experience to to do a to do a good job of aerial seeding. So the no-tiller doesn't need to think as much about the pilot per se as the process that they're that they're undertaking. So. And I I couldn't speak to this perennial ryegrass situation, but I can speak to failures that we've had with aerial seeding cover crops. And probably the biggest enemy to this is shade. So we go out there and we plant the seed, and that crop is is several weeks from any kind of senescing. And it's it's obviously going to be in its mature uh, growth stage. We lay that seed out there and it rains. It germinates and it starts to grow. If it's in the shade long enough, it dies like all other weeds would die in the canopy of a crop. So timing is critical. The grower has to realize that if this is if this is put out too early and that that um, that cover crop is uh, competing for sunlight in the canopy of soybeans or corn. that there's a high likelihood that it's going to die
0: take a quick time out back to the podcast in just a second but once again let's thank our sponsor lacrosse seed solving the soil health puzzle lacrosse seed has you covered cover crops are an important piece to future profit but it takes work and is puzzling at times lacrosse seed delivers quality soil first cover crop products plus training and tools to help you succeed whether you're looking to grow your cover crop seed business get product tips or find a local soil first dealer lacrosse seed is ready to help learn more at soilfirst.com that's soil1st.com or call 800-356-SEED. Now, back to the podcast.
1: The other issue we found to be a serious problem uh, here in Wisconsin, and I, I would imagine it's a problem throughout, throughout the country, I suspect. We have predation on the seed, And the primary predator that we've been dealing with are slugs. The growers need to scout these fields for the presence of slugs and understand that if the slugs are there, they are ferocious feeders in the fall. They're preparing for winter. Uh, By that time, a lot of the residue has been consumed by earthworms and, and other biological processes. And so the amount of food on the surface is is dwindling, and for whatever reason, slugs really enjoy the germ end of most cereal grain seeds. So um, that's that's an important uh, part of this process is scouting for that presence of those slugs. And if you wait long enough so that the cover crop will have access to sunlight and you uh, don't have slug pressure. Success rate is really high.
0: Do you have experience with uh, frost seeding, and is that potentially a good option?
1: We've done a lot of frost seeding, and it's a it's a method that I really wish would would uh, take hold here more in Wisconsin because it has tremendous advantages. And we just talked about the two uh, reasons why we have stand failures from a broadcast application, whether it's from an airplane or a high boy or whatever platform you're you're laying seed on the surface um we have to we have a problem with sunlight we have a problem with predators when we frost seed obviously we don't have a sunlight issue because the crop isn't there there's is no crop there and when we frost seed we are putting the seed out there prior to those predators becoming active um i have yet to have a stand failure from a frost seeded cover crop. Wow, we have had really slow developing cover crops when they're frost seeded. Uh, that resulted in very small amount of growth, which of course is disappointing. But we've never had an actual stand failure. So up here in Wisconsin, our harvest happens uh, typically in November on corn. Uh, we don't have a lot of soil loss from November through March and um, you get that that uh, seed out there in real late March or early April uh, we usually can get something growing. We have a cover crop that's growing that's very, very manageable unlike a fall planted cover crop a frost seeded cover crop is not going to get away from you if um, you have untimely rains relative to when you want to terminate. So uh, there's a lot of advantages and you're accomplishing a lot. It doesn't take a very tall cover crop to hold soil in place. It doesn't take a very large cover crop to uh, begin feeding those microbes uh, and improving soil health. You just don't need a mountain of roots. You just need something growing. And and so I'm hoping that over time, uh, university research, uh, NRCS officials, uh, county conservationists begin to just take a closer look at that frost seeding and and hopefully, we can move to a practice that involves involves more frost seeding than fall seeding.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that becomes a more uh, popular option moving forward. Now, as far as species go, are, have you found that certain species work better with aerial application? And are are there any ones where where you would recommend not using in an aerial application?
1: Yeah. So, in, uh, so we're broadcasting seed, and so there are a, a group of seeds that work really poorly when you broadcast them and the simplest way to think about it is if you're if the the literature that comes with your drill that suggests what the planting depths should be of a given seed species and if you're reading that and it tells you you need to set your drill more than an inch deep uh or and especially if it starts talking about putting something in the ground two inches deep it will not work when it's broadcast and the group of seeds that for sure don't work broadcast in almost all situations are large seed size legumes so peas do very poorly broadcast soybeans do very poorly broadcast hairy vetch is is right on the edge of too large of a seed to work we've had a little bit of success with it um, but large seeded legumes work poorly that seed needs to be completely covered by soil, typically to be um, vigorous. So uh, all the rest of the seed species, any of your um, small grains, any of your uh, brassica species, and your small sized legumes, particularly clovers, do really well broadcast. You talk about seed selection, when we talk about aerial seeding specifically, if we're aerial seeding in the fall, we're running out of time. And, you know, we work here in Wisconsin and uh, we're in a, um, you know, a part of the country where uh, we are doing this when there isn't a lot of growing degree days left. So we kind of shy away from the clover's simply because we're running out of time and we focus really heavily on cereal rye um cereal rye is the most winter hardy species and we've got something that's going to come out of dormancy in the spring the earliest so this is why we're selecting these the, the cereal rye seed is simply due to our geography and we're shying farmers away from mixes, not because we don't think mixes are great. We know mixes are great, but if we're out here in you know, September 5th uh, planting a seed, uh, we have to kind of be realistic about what are the odds of it getting um, killed by frost before it's done anything meaningful.
0: And uh, as far as seeding rate goes, how, how would that differ from, say, a recommended rate for drilling?
1: You know, I I can't speak to exactly what recommended rates are for drilling. What I can speak to is what seems to work really well, um, here, here for us in Wisconsin. And we've pretty much got it set that if we're going to have success, if we do not, if we're not planting too early in the shade and we're going to get that timely rain and we don't have predators eating the seed, we are getting exceptional uh, cover with one bushel of cereal rye. Um, I'm sure you could probably find yourself in the same situation with maybe uh, three quarters of a bushel if you drilled it. You know, we are going to lose some some of that seed just you know to being the fact that it's a broadcast versus being placed in the soil. If the predators are going to eat the seed, I've I've literally taken the rate all the way up to four bushel. <laughs> And the predators will eat four bushel as happily as they'll eat one. So uh, we can't really overcome predation with seeding rate. Um, so you know we
0: we've found that uh, you know we just need to know if they're there, and then we know not
1: to, to broadcast. So if we plant too early, um, four bushels of. Of seeds will die in the shade just like one will. So um, you can imagine the objective here is to hold soil in place, uh, improve soil health, and do this at the, at the most affordable price point that we can. And so by reducing that seeding rate down to, to an effective um, plants per square foot uh, at that one bushel, we, we have a lot of success with that. And, uh, and, it's, and it makes it a, an affordable option for producers.
0: And what soils usually have the greatest success rate with aerial seeding, would you say, in, in your experience?
1: Yeah, it's the ones without the predators. Ah,
0: yeah, that makes sense.
1: <laughs> so, uh, so slugs, you know, they really like higher organic matter soils. So we get into that really rich prairie soil, and the populations of slugs are higher typically in a no-till setting. Um, and we're not, obviously, uh, we're in no way suggesting that you, uh, get involved in a tillage in order to take care of the slugs. That's, that's not even remotely what we're getting at here. It's just a fact. There, there tends to be, uh, higher slug densities where, where there is, uh, little or no tillage. Having said that, um, when we get into sandy soils, The slugs uh, don't, that's just terrible habitat for them. So we're having really good luck on sand. When we get on clay soils, uh, they don't seem to be as, uh, the populations don't seem to be as intense. So we uh, tend to have
0: better luck. I'm sure you have a lot of great stories over the years. Um, Just recently, can you think of a story or experience where you've learned something new or that you think our audience would be interested in?
1: I can I can really you know the slug situation was really an epiphany and I remember being at a long term no till growers farm back in 2013 and we uh, he was actually one of the first customers that got us involved in aerial seeding cover crops in uh, southeastern Wisconsin we were on his farm just scratching our head trying to figure out why none of what we did grew and uh, we eventually. Observe the slugs actually uh, present and eating, actively eating seed and newly germinated seed. And so I remember thinking to myself, you know, how this individual is farming is so different from the rest of our customers and how aggressive he was with, you know, multi species cover crops and how long he had been no tilling and using cover crops. He's a very progressive, really good farmer. And and I just frankly blew it off that uh, this was unique to his farm. And uh, as the fall continued to chug along, um, I came to realize that uh, the problem he had there was no different than many of the other places we've been throughout the state. And so it was really, really eye-opening and, and very humbling, and, uh, and it was quite a learning experience.
0: Well, I know you're pretty busy this time of year, so I won't keep you any longer, but before you go, anything else you want to add or share with our audience?
1: No, just want to thank you for your time and for all the work that your uh, media group does in promoting conservation, and and, um, and thank all the no-till farmers out there for, for their um, conservation efforts.
0: Great stuff there from Damon Reby. We want to thank him for joining us on this week's podcast. And before we go, we also want to thank our sponsor, La Crosse Seed. Solving the soil health puzzle, Lacrosse Seed has you covered. Cover crops are an important piece to future profit, but it takes work and it's puzzling sometimes. LaCrosse Seed delivers quality soil-first cover crop products, plus training and tools to help you succeed. So whether you're looking to grow your cover crop seed business, get product tips or find a local soil-first dealer lacrosse seed is ready to help learn more at soilfirst.com that's soil1st.com or call 800-356-SEED thanks again for listening hope you enjoyed it and until next time remember for all things cover crops head to covercropstrategies.com